Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Well, good morning, church. My name is Aaron. Uh, if this is your first time, I got to meet some folks coming right just walking in. I uh, happen to be hanging out in the hallway. Uh, what an honor. If this is your first time, we are so excited that you've chosen to spend a Sunday morning with us, especially a beautiful Sunday like this. We know you could be lots of places. Uh, we're so glad you're here. We are in the middle of a rooted series. This is a very important series for us. This is kind of an identity series. Uh, we're really talking about stuff that matters a lot to us. And if you're kind of wondering, well, what, what is this church all about? You picked the best series to come. Uh, and we've been talking about different things, different parts of what we are rooted in that define who we are, the kind of church we are striving to be. We're so glad you're here. Uh, I want to start with this this morning. Uh, I was thinking about um, a class I had in grad school in seminary. That's the kind of school you go to if you want to be a pastor. Uh, and I had a class called Pastoral leadership. It's, they kind of throw all, all the stuff that doesn't fit in any of the other classes, they put in this one class. And I had uh, Dr. Clinton was my professor. I remember I showed up one day, second day of class, and I walked in. I started to take all my stuff out, set up my laptop, right, taking us. And Dr. Clinton said, no, don't, don't unpack your bags. Keep everything in your bags. We're going on a field trip. I thought, okay, grad school field trip. This will be fun. So we, we actually put all our stuff, put our bags back on, and we walked out. And we walked about three blocks to a neighborhood cemetery, and, and the professor said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a couple minutes, just walk around and read some of the tombstones. Just, just read what's on them, you know, take it in. And, and I'm walking around like, this is a little weird. Okay, I'm in a cemetery, you know. And so then he said, now what I want you to do is I want you to, to find a tombstone that seems to speak to you. Which is a little creepy if you think about that. Not literal voices, but is there one that stood out to you? And so we all found one, and then we sat down in front of that tombstone. Then the professor came around with these little note cards, and he handed each of us a note card and a pencil, and he said, I want you to reflect and write on this one question. He said, if your life was to end today, or when your life ends, what do you hope people will line up and thank you for? You ever thought about that? At the end of your life, what do you hope people will line up and thank you for. It's really a question of legacy, isn't it? Legacy. You see, inheritance is all about our stuff. And we got a lot of stuff. We got, you know, a house full of stuff. And then we've got garages that used to hold cars, but we can't put our cars in there because we've got stuff in there. And then we, when we run out there, we get a storage unit that we rent. And then thankfully, Denver keeps building more storage units for us. So we can just pour more and more stuff, right? We just stuff. That's inheritance. Legacy is something altogether different. Legacy is about the impact that you make. It's not what you leave for someone. It's what you leave in someone. And today I want to talk about this idea of legacy. Uh, in this series, we've been looking at some of the things we are rooted in. The first week, we talked about we are rooted in Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything we do. Uh, we, we worship Jesus. We study Jesus. We pray to Jesus. We follow Jesus. We try to imitate Jesus. We are rooted in Jesus. 
Week two, we talked about how we are rooted in community, not just any kind of community, but a special kind of community, what the Bible calls koinonia, that's a Greek word, this kind of togetherness, this sharing of burdens and life together. We are rooted in community. Then last week, we talked about how we are rooted in mission. Mission, uh, the mission of the church, uh, one scholar said, is the, the church is the only organization in the history of the world whose mission, their primary mission is for people who are not yet a part of it, right? We exist for a purpose greater than ourselves. We are rooted in mission. And today, today we come to week four, and I want to talk about what it means to be rooted in legacy. You have a legacy. You do. doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian or a skeptic or a spiritual explorer or whatever marker would define you best. You have a legacy. When your life ends, there will be some kind of impact, good or bad or both, that you leave in the lives of those behind. You have a legacy. And the question is, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? Because you're all, you're all going to leave one. What will your legacy be? What will people line up and thank you for at the end of your life? Well, to, to understand this idea of legacy in the Bible, I, I need to teach you something about how God sees the generations. There's an interesting idea that begins actually in, in the book of Genesis, and then we see it develop, excuse me, that begins in the book of Genesis and is developed in the book of Exodus, the, very, the second book of the Bible, and then it gets carried through the whole of the scriptures. It's really this fascinating thing that we see about generations, and it's crazy because God introduces himself in the most interesting way to a guy named Moses. You may have heard of him. Listen to how God introduces himself. He says this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Interesting. God seems to care about the generations. In fact, I actually think there are two kinds of people that God especially loves. The first is young people. God loves young people. He is irrationally crazy about them. He mass produces them. In fact, he's, he's producing them at a faster rate today than ever in the history of the world, uh, which is proof to me that God has not given up on this world. Right? The fact that more babies are born this year than ever in any other single year, to me, seems proof uh, that there is yet hope, that God believes there is hope. The second group of people is old people. He is crazy about old people too. In fact, God is one of them. God is the oldest person in the universe. God loves young people. God loves old people. The only people God doesn't love are 40-year-olds. 40-year-olds are just old people who think we're young, right? Can I get an amen, 40-year-olds? Like, yeah, 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 that's right. We, we haven't bought into that yet. <laughs> Our world, it's interesting, our world increasingly separates the young and the old. We, we separate the young and the old in our music and in our dress, in our entertainment, in our leisure activities, even in our neighborhoods. Our world operates on this strategy of separation. But God seems to have a vision. God seems to have a plan, a dream that is different than that. Psalm 78 describes it this way. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will, here it is, tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Interesting. 
The single most important text to the people of Israel is a prayer. It's the Shema. They prayed it twice a day. It goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Then just one more, one more to prove the point. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. In other words, here's the big idea, big idea today. In other words, God's plan has been, has always been for the generations, young and old, to be together. It is his be together plan to care for, to be with, to learn from, to invest in one another. So you need to, I need to, we need to figure out which category we are in, young or old, so that we can start hanging out with the other category more, right? If you're young, you need to be around some older people. You need their wisdom. You need their experience. You need their help getting your tax forms filled out. You need them to teach you how to live in this faith. You need the steadiness of purpose that comes from being with people who have weathered the storms of life. You need old people. And if you're old, you need younger people, right? You need to be around some younger people. You need their energy. You need their enthusiasm. You need them to teach you how to use technology. You need the vitality and flexibility and learning that comes from being around people who are filled with possibility and have not yet learned the things that cannot be done. If you're not sure which group you're in, young or old, if you're kind of, I don't know, then that means you're old, okay? If you don't know which one you're in, you're old, just accept it. But whether you're young or old, the real truth is, the real truth, this is the big idea up front, we need each other. We do. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He is the God of the generations. There is something in this for us. A friend of mine named James Chung uh, works for the InterVarsity Campus Ministry Organization. He wrote a book on what's called the Four Generations Theory. And I just think this is so fascinating. This is a theory from some sociologists that identifies four generations in American culture. And they kind of cycle over and over again. And each of these generations has what James calls a spiritual question of the day. You can think of it as kind of the front door question to faith for each generation. So I thought we'd take a minute just to walk through this and you see if this applies to you and your generation. So the first generation, of course, are the boomers. These are folks who were born between 1943 and 1960. Boomers in the room, own it, raise your hands. Between 1943 and 1960, come on, come on. We were a little bit shy. Some of y'all did that and then popped it back down. Remember, we need you, boomers. That's good, that's good. Here, Here we go. So boomers' question is this. The question for them of the day is, what is true? What is true? And man, I love boomers. Boomers call out the best of our theology. How do we know God exists? How do we know that the Bible is trustworthy? Boomers ensure that our thinking about God is biblical and that our doctrine is sound. You know what kind of worship music boomers love? They love hymns. Why? Because they're filled with truth. There's some boomers that are about to shout amen right now. Just right, right? We, we love that. We want to sing the truth. And I love that even today, Nathan and the team just continue to weave in some of those older hymns and the truth that so blesses us. 
Boomers care about what is true. That's a great question. Uh, Xers, that's the next generation. This is 1961 to 1981. Xers own it. Come on, that's me, that's me. Yep, yep, all right. Xers, here's our question. We, we don't think it's enough to know what is true. We, want, we think we need you and I need to tell the truth about ourselves. We want to know what is real. What is real, right? We're raw. I mean, we grew up watching the real world. Like, reality television exists because of Gen X. Let's just, right? It's got to be real. Now reality television is about the fakest thing on the planet. But anyway, it used to be real, or so, so to speak. But we care about what is real. In fact, it was under the leadership of Gen X in the church that, that we started to get worship music that was a little more honest about the struggles of life. That's a Gen X kind of view. And, and when Gen Xers became pastors, it suddenly became legal to wear blue jeans at church. Praise Alleluia, right? Yes. <laughs> In fact, kind of funny here at Lake Forest. You can tell uh, some of the pastors here were Gen Xers because we don't have an offering plate. We pass the jean pocket, right? Come on. That's, uh, we're just, we've got a rage against the machine. All right. So, so what is real? That's extras. Uh, but the next generation, next generation, millennials, 1982 to 2002, their question is, what is good? Millennials in the room? Millennials, come on, come on, come on. Raise your hands. Own it, millennials. All right, we had more millennials in the first one. All right. Uh, you know, I, I got to say this about millennials. They get a really bad rap, but I really love. They do. They do. <laughs> they do. You, you know what I love about millennials? Their question is, what is good? It's not enough for the gospel to be true, and it's not enough for Christians to be real. If the church, if the gospel does not produce good in our world, then what good is it, right? You see why we need millennials? Companies today, it's no longer enough to sell you a product. If you're a, if you're a, a national or global company, you've got to demonstrate how your company does good in this world. Millennials have a, a huge contribution to make to the mission and to the church, and then last and finally are the iGens. These are the folks born 2003 or later. Any iGens in the room? iGens, all right. Yeah, I got, I got a household full of iGens. Uh, that's my kids, yes. Uh, you know what I love about iGens? Here's their question. They want to know what is beautiful? What is just? How do those go together? Well, the, a just world is the most beautiful ver- version of the world that could exist. You see that? Beauty and justice. And I'll tell you what. When, when uh, iGens and millennials finally get old enough that they can start deciding the blue jean type of decisions in the church, you watch out. Because when they get their hands in, the church is going to light a fire of change in this world when those generations come up. Why? Because we need each generation. Right? Are any one of these questions disposable? No. The church needs every one of these things. As St. Augustine once said, truth, goodness, and beauty are what lead us to God. He left out real. I don't know what happened to the Xers in that one, but you get the idea. The church needs all of the generations. That is God's vision for his church. God seemed to think that it was good to have these generations together in mission. That's why he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is one of the things I absolutely love about our church. I love this about our church. I want you to take a look at these numbers up here on the screen. Any guess as to what these numbers represent? These are the ages of the adults and kids in the families who just went through our Westlake 101 and joined as ministry partners two weeks ago. Isn't that amazing? Just take in those numbers for a minute. Don't switch to the image yet. Don't, just stay, take in those numbers. You notice what's true about those numbers? No one generation has the corner on the market. Do you see that? Each generation is an equal minority. 
Now, I'll often have people come up to me. You can go ahead and change it to the, there are the folks, just so you can see it. Some of them from one of the services. I will often have folks come up to me in the church. I'll have, a, I'll have some boomers come up to me and they'll say this. They'll say, Aaron, uh, you know what, man? Like, uh, there, there are no other old people like us at our church. They're all, it's all young families at Westlake, right? And then like later that afternoon, I'll be sitting with a young family and they're like, oh, Aaron, everybody at this church is old. Where are all the young families? Right? It's just, because this is what's true of us as human beings. Unless we see the majority of the room with people who look like us in our ages, we feel in the minority. And the truth is, we are, because we are a multi-generational church, and that, my friends, is a beautiful thing. It's also good, true, and real, but it's really beautiful. <laughs> now, why would God have created his church this way? Why would he have graced us as a church with this beautiful multi-generational community? Well, here's why, because I believe that God has also given us a special assignment. There is some work that God has specifically assigned, some work cut out for us as a church to do in his mission. And I believe that that, that that is the responsibility we have to pass on to the next generation the hope and life of Jesus. That's our assignment. There's no one else besides the church that can do this. To pass on the hope and life of Jesus. The good news that because of his death and resurrection, our relationship with God can be restored and we can be part of his mission in the world. That is the message we are charged with passing on to the next generation. That is what God wants to be the legacy of Lake Forest Church Westlake. And so what I want to do is I want to take just 10 minutes here. We're just going to take 10 minutes. And I'm going to shift to some campaign stuff. I want to take 10 minutes to touch on three things that I think are absolutely critical for us if we are going to carry this kind of legacy to the next generation. Three things that we need if we are going to succeed at this great legacy assignment. And the first is simply this. God is calling us to live a legacy of faith. Live a legacy of faith. Remember, we started with Abraham. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's story actually begins in Genesis 12. And it's interesting, his name at this point is Abram. God's later going to change it. But this is when God first calls Abraham to trust him, to step out in faith. Listen to how the story begins. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, here it is, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this is pretty remarkable to me. Abraham Abe, we'll say, is living in the land of Ur. That's in modern-day Baghdad today. He's living out in the eastern part of the Middle East. And God comes and he says, Abe, listen, I want you to leave everything you've ever known behind. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your father's house. You're going to have to leave the PlayStation. You can bring the Nintendo Switch. It's small enough, but everything else has to stay, and I want you to go. And Abe's like, okay, God, where am I going to? He says, well, you're going to go to the land I'm going to show you. He says, well, where is that? And God says, well, I'm going to show you, right? Do you feel the tension? Leave everything and go. And then look at this promise he says. He says, if you will trust me, if you will have faith, if you will go, I will make you a great nation and you will be a blessing to the whole world. Talk about a legacy. Holy cow. 
But in order to embrace this legacy, Abe is going to have to take a step of faith. He is going to have to risk. And I love that the biblical writer doesn't want us to miss this point. Did you see how those verses ended? He actually names it so we don't miss it. He says, so Abraham went. He went. See, the first thing we learn from Abe's story here is that living a life of legacy means that we will have to step out in faith. We will. Now, as a pastor, I often will sit with people and they'll be like, well, Aaron, I got this thing. I think God's calling me to do this, but I'm just waiting until I have enough faith to do it, right? As soon as I have the faith, then I'll go. And I'm always like, well, you know, that's not how this thing works, right? Faith is the, act, is the action. You don't have the faith until you, right? That, that's what happens. The risk, you don't have the faith before you take the step of risk. You, you have the faith when you step out in risk. That's what it means to have Faith. Faith is like a muscle. It only gets stronger as you use it. Where might God be asking you to step out in faith, to be a blessing to someone else? First thing we learn is that we have to be called, well, excuse me, is that we are called to live a legacy of faith. We're gonna have to take a risk. Second thing is this: if we're gonna have the legacy that God calls us to, to pass this faith to the next generation. It's going to take a legacy of relationship, a legacy of relationship. What do I mean? Well, look at what happens next here in verses 4 and 5. It says, so Abram went, that's where we left off, as the Lord had told him. And look who's coming along. And Lot went with him. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Abraham, uh, excuse me, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, she's going to get a name change later too, his nephew, Lot, and the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran. I guess he gets to bring the PlayStation anyway. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Now, first thing I want you to notice in this story, did you catch this? How old is Abram? 75. Remember David's story we saw just a few minutes ago? Abram is 75 years, y'all. He's like leaving everything. This is like the, he, he's, he's got, he could have the cushy life. This is it. He's set for life, right? This is retirement for him. And God's saying, no, what? No, 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 Abe. I've actually got something better for you. In fact, Abe, your ultimate contribution in life and in mission and your legacy is still in front of you. It's, he's 75 and he, the best is yet to come. And I never tire of talking this. And boomers, I just want you to hear me today. Boomers, right? Boomers, raise your hand again. Come on, boomers. Come on. Oh, no, oh, no. There you are. Okay, I need to say, your best life, your best years are still in front of you. The greatest impact that you are going to make in the lives of others is still in front of you. And it forever will be until the day you are six feet underground. That's what it means to have a fourth quarter faith. That's what it means to live a legacy. Abe is 75 when God calls him to go. But not only that, did you notice what happens next? Abe doesn't go alone. He brings someone of the next generation along with him. He brings his nephew. See, we live in a culture that worships youth, that sees old age as a liability rather than an asset, but not here, not in our church, because as these generations, as the generations, we need each other. And that's what we see happening here in the relationship that is forming between Abe and his nephew Lot. Now, adults in the room, let me ask you this question really quick. Do you think growing up today 
uh, is getting harder or easier for the next generation? You think it's getting harder or easier? Think about your answer there for a minute. Uh, an author by the name of Rich Carlgaard has written a book called The Late Bloomers. And he, he's compiled a lot of evidence on this. He documents the challenge and the pressure that young people face in our day. Severe anxiety and clinical depression are between 500 and 800 times more prevalent in high school students today than they were in the 1960s. And it doesn't get any better after that. In one survey, 54% of college students said that they felt overwhelming anxiety at least once in the last 12 months. If, if you had to name the challenge that the emerging generation is facing today, perhaps it would be best summarized in this one single word, pressure. I feel like I should... Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, no, no other Gen Xers? Come on, little queen. Okay, queen, thank you. I just had to make sure. Okay, back to the sermon, back to the sermon. Here we go. Um, I read recently, I read recently about an elite preschool that promises to teach your three-year-old a second language by the time they turn four so that they can list it on their college resume. That's their promise, right? Uh, you can ask me later if you want to send your kid there. I'll get you the info. Here's what's really interesting. Einstein, did you know this? Einstein, we're told, did not even say a single word in his first language until he was four years old. And yet today, baby Einstein is a multi-billion dollar industry that produces toys that promise that your baby will speak before the real Einstein ever actually did. <laughs> pressure, pressure, immense pressure. Kara Powell, who is an expert on youth ministry, uh, studies, uh, studies this, uh, says that uh, faith, uh, the faith of graduating high school seniors, that only 50% of graduating high school seniors will still hold to their faith by the time they are 21 years old. One out of every two professing Christian high school seniors will no longer profess faith in Jesus by the time they are 21. Now, you know what's interesting in their research? You know what the most common predictor is of the students who do hold on to their faith? Number one thing. Number one thing. You ready? It's one adult in their life, not mom or dad, one adult in their life who has relationship with them and encourages them in faith. One adult in their life who has relationship with them and encourages them in their faith. That is the single greatest predictor of students who will still hold to their faith by the time they're 21. And this is why, this is why in our youth ministry, in our high school ministry, in our middle school ministry, all the way down through our children's ministry, we have designed the entire program around this value of an adult, a loving, kind adult who is investing, pouring out their life for the sake of the next generation. That is our model. We are not basing it on a bunch of loud, fun games, playing chubby bunny every week. They still play chubby bunny, I promise you. But that's not the core of our ministry. The core of it is relational connection with an adult who loves them and cares for them and tells them about a God who loves them and has a purpose for their life. And this is true not whether, not simply if you're mentoring uh, kids. This is true of boomers mentoring younger parents. This is true of men pouring into younger men, women pouring into younger women. This is true wherever we are laying down our lives for the sake of the next generation. Kara Powell describes it this way. She says, what the next generation needs from us is not our advice but they need your time and they need your friendship. So let me ask you, where are you pouring your life into the next generation? Who in the generation below you are you sharing your time, your faith, and your friendship with? 
If we're going to pass the faith on to the next generation, it's going to take a legacy of faith. It's going to take a legacy of relationship. Third and finally, it's going to take a legacy of generosity. Look at how our passage ends, verse, the very next verse here, verse 6 and 7. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah of Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were living in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, here it is, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. You know, perhaps the most amazing thing about Abraham's life and his whole story, really about his legacy, is that the dream that Abraham sacrificed everything for is a dream that he would never actually realize in his own lifetime. You ever thought about this? Abraham left home for the promise of a new land and a legacy that would not become true while he was living on earth. He sacrificed it all for the next generation. And I think there's something important here for us to learn as the church as well. And there's a, because this, this, my friends, this is our job. This is our legacy. To pass on faith to the next generation. No one else will do it for us. We alone carry this responsibility. The responsibility to tell the next generation of his wonders and his mighty acts. To tell them about a God, the true, the good, the real, the beautiful God who sacrificed everything so that we might have life. This is our responsibility. This is our job as a church. This is our legacy. And for those of you who are doing this, those of you who are part of this, I just want this morning for you to be reminded of just how significant this work is, the work that you do. You're doing what God himself does. You are freely choosing to devote yourself, to spend yourself, to give yourself for the sake of others. From the human perspective, God's whole dream, the church, has continued to exist from its first day to this very day right now, simply because someone in each and every generation made the decision you are faced with right now. Will we stay in earth or will we step out? Will we go? Will we sacrifice for the sake of the next generation? From the human perspective, this whole dream, God's whole plan of community is one generation away from extinction unless somebody chooses what you are choosing. Unless somebody pays the price you have paid. So it is indescribably important that we understand this. It is a noble, noble, noble thing you do. And one day, one day, God is going to pull you aside and you will receive the greatest commendation any human being could ever hear. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So for those of you who are doing this, those of you who are giving your lives for that next generation, your time, your money, your energy, your resources, your relationships. My friends, you are not crazy. You aren't. I know sometimes it feels like, especially if you're in the toddler room, it feels crazy. But you are a passer of the torch. You are a keeper of the dream. You are part of his legacy. Well, I wanted to take the last few minutes of the sermon, just to do a little bit of church business. And if you're new, I'm so glad you're here. You just listen in or you can check Facebook right now if you like. But I, I want to just tell you a little bit about where we're at as a church, because this is a mission critical time for us, a mission critical time in our, in our legacy, right? We believe God has called us to take a step of faith together as a church to become permanent stakeholders here in the Westlake region. And that, that we believe involves a step of 
raising the funds necessary to build a building. And this value of legacy has shaped our journey in so many ways. And I just want to share with you just a few quick things, specifically about the building itself and, and our kids' wings, excuse me, our kids' wing and, and how the legacy has become a part of that. Our kids are so important to us here at Westlake. And so we actually prioritized the children's space and children's wing over and against office space. When we sat down as a team of ministry partners like many of you and elders, and we made some critical decisions about what we could afford and what we couldn't, we decided that office space could wait. Because office space is something that can be added later. We can figure that out. And by the way, the staff has said, we'll just office in the kids' rooms midweek. We want to prioritize this next generation. And so, so we, we prioritized it in the amount of space. We prioritize the next generation in a design that, that values safety for your kids. Uh, we have a single point of entry. You'll see this in your journey guide. You'll see this on the uh, floor plan. We have a single point of entry for check-in uh, so that parents are, can feel secure with their kids, cared for in that. When you enter in, there's a circular flow. The rooms are designed to be safe, friendly, and engaging environments for our kids because church should be fun, right? Church should be fun. Church should be a place where we are excited to go, where we're excited to encounter others who are following Jesus and who want to share with us about this God who loves us. Perhaps my favorite thing, though, about our children's wing is our large group theater room. This is the room that all the ages will get to experience to some degree or another on a Sunday morning. It's the place where God's story will be brought to life and where there's a really cool rock climbing wall in the corner. So take a look at this. that great. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Who is that young person in your world, in your family, or in your neighborhood, or on your child's softball team? And can you imagine them walking through those glass doors and entering this space and, and discovering that, that, that this is a space for them, where they're, where they're welcome, we, that we've designed a whole wing specifically with their needs in mind, and where they can come and hear about this God that loves them. Can you imagine what God might do? Um, you know, one of the challenges we faced in the design of this was right-sizing the building, uh, and we just reached the point at which we, we felt like to build any smaller just did not make sense. Here's what we know. We know from national data and from our sister church in Huntersville experience, we will grow by about 40% in the first 12 months that we open those doors. It just, it's just kind of how, how it goes. And we already welcome 65 to 95 fifth grade and under on any given Sunday. And so we did not want to build a space that would not be hospitable to those kids who are yet to find a place like Westlake. 
In order to build that, the total build is going to cost $6 million. We've talked about this in previous weeks. There's more info in your vision guide. In order to break ground, we need to raise pledges of $2 million. We already have $400,000 in the savings account. Uh, actually, we're adding to that even now. Uh, but we need to raise $2 million. And so in two weeks, we are going to have a pledge Sunday together. In fact, this week you will receive in the mail uh, a card that looks like this. This is a commitment card. You'll receive, if we have your address, you're going to receive one of these in the mail. If you do not get one, don't worry, we'll have them available next Sunday. But in two weeks, we're going to pray as a church, and we're going to take a step of faith together as we make a commitment that we think God has called us to make. If those commitments match or exceed $2 million in total, we will break ground as soon as we physically can, as soon as May or June this year. If we do not reach that $2 million in pledges, that's okay. We'll wait because we don't want to act uh, uh, unwisely. We want to be financially wise in our decisions on this. Uh, if you have more questions about the budget and the finances, I would be glad to talk with you. There's lots more info there. Here's what I'm asking of you this week. Uh, in your vision guide, you'll also see a giving table. When you receive your card, I ask you simply to sit down and pray and ask God, God, what might you have us play? What role might you have us play in this rooted legacy? And if you feel like you're giving out of guilt or obligation, please let me relieve you of that. God, we are not looking for people to give out of guilt or obligation. Uh, we, this is meant to be a joy and a step of faith together. It is not something any one of us can do, but as we will all join together, we believe God can help us get there. So mark your calendars for March 8th. That's going to be a real special day for us. Lots of God stories, communion, a lot of other stuff. Well, I wanted to end today with just a quick uh, story from a friend uh, who sent me an email at a really critical time. So would you put your hands together to help welcome Kelly Shermerhorn to the stage. Come on, warm welcome for Kelly. So, Kelly, uh, this was back in January, and uh, you had no idea that um, I had actually been praying and fasting about our campaign. And I was, well, I wasn't feeling so faithful that day, and I remember just confessing to the Lord. I said, God, there are two million, there are a lot of zeros after that, too. Like, I'm not used to writing that many zeros after any number, right? And, um, and so I just remember praying. I said, God, I need you to grow my faith. And the next day, I received an email from you that was almost like an answer to my prayer. And so I, I asked Kelly uh, if she wouldn't come and share that email with you uh, because it was such a gift to me. So would you, would you read that email for us? So this is, this is the email that I wrote. Um, I'm glad that we found a home in Westlake with a pastor who helps us navigate our Christianity in today's world. Given how meaningful it's been for us, I'm excited to be a part of opening the doors for others, to find their faith in the glorious Prince of Peace. Being able to financially give to this project has given more back to me than I feel I've given. It gives me purpose knowing that I'm part of something much bigger than myself, building a church home that will impact generations to come. Talk about legacy, and I'm only in my 30s. <laughs> What an honor it is to be part of God's legacy. I'm also excited to know that we'll have our own home base, which feels more secure. Growing up as a kid with divorced parents, I switched houses every two weeks. 
As a kid, I saw it through a lens of fun, getting to go to my dad's house just as I was mad at my mom, or getting to celebrate Christmas and birthdays twice. But there's nothing quite like the safety and security of being able to call one place home, especially a church home. In fact, it was through the sermons delivered at my very own church home right now, Westlake, and through Pastor Aaron, uh, that I found myself being called to become a spiritual community leader. Quite frankly, something that's still scaring me today, but I figure that's what God wants, me in the uncomfortable hot seat, because I imagine being in this leadership position is, again, going to do a lot more for me than I'm taking time to consider as I worry over whether or not I'm leadership material at all. Only God knows and will re reveal in time. Until then, I'm just trying to understand what I'm being called to do, whether that is giving financially or leading others to Christ through my own vulnerability. Mm, Kelly, that is awesome. In fact, I was thinking, what, I was thinking between stories, I should have just had you preach today. Would you, <laughs> would you do that sometime? If I, if I just put you on the calendar, you can take the whole thing? Because that is awesome. That is awesome. I think reading the same email This is enough. enough. <laughs> this is enough. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, let me ask you this one question. You know, thinking about giving financially, which is what we're talking about, and that can make people nervous. I mean, uh, you know, and I, I get it, I get it. Uh, for somebody who's never given to something like this before, or maybe they're, they're nervous about that, what, what encouragement would you give them as they think about considering doing that? Well, I think I could probably only share what I've experienced myself, um, which is if you're sitting in service and you start to feel your heart pound or your palms get sweaty or there's been a message that resonates with you, um, that's God speaking to you, um, and it might be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> fair enough. So what you're saying is when they are most nervous, that's actually God. Is that what you're saying? Yes, okay, yes, kind of like I, right now. <laughs> man, God must speak to me all the time. Let me just be real. Yes. Well, Kelly, thanks for your courage. Thanks for your faithfulness, and thanks for leading the way for us.